from deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to a brand new season of Gator Tales, the official podcast of Florida Athletics. I'm your host, Adam Schick. On this debut episode of our second season, we'll dive headfirst into the second year for Jim McElwain and his staff leading the Gators. After a 10-4 year that saw Florida return to the SEC title game for the first time since 2009, expectations are high for a squad that has a lot of questions, but potentially has many of the answers on a deep and talented roster. This week, we'll hear about the unlikely path that led Luke Del Rio to become the starting quarterback for the Gators, learn about the deep backfield from running backs coach Tim Skipper, and break down the 2016 team from every angle with FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter. But first, the Gators have been looking for their quarterback of the future for quite some time. After multiple players auditioned but couldn't keep the part over the years since the Tebow era, a new candidate has emerged, and he's had a very challenging journey to get here. We sat down with redshirt sophomore Luke Del Rio for a chat about family, football, and Florida. Well, I definitely didn't think I was going to come to Florida. You know, as a high school student, didn't grow up a Florida fan, but um, always respected their teams because they were so good when I was in high school. But really the coaching staff and the familiarity with the, the personnel, um, both coaching and playing, I played against a lot of these guys in high school, and I was comfortable with the culture that they were building. And I knew Coach Mack from Colorado State, so I knew what type of team and offense that he would want, and I thought I fit it perfectly. It's funny because you always hear about the relationships from maybe years ago and they come back around. Talk about that foundation with Coach Mack from when he was recruiting at Colorado State. Yeah, I went back to Bowles High School. I went there second grade to 10th grade, and everybody's asking, you know, how do you get offers? How do you do all that? And I really said, look, no matter what you do, if you commit somewhere, if you walk on somewhere, don't burn bridges with other schools because you never know where you're going to go. And if you, you know, if you want to transfer, then you know, you haven't had the best relationships with other people, then they're not going to want you. So um, I think me keeping the relationships pretty healthy with my past experiences with coaches, uh, it played a big role in my transfers. You also set an interesting geographic path here. You start at Alabama, and then you go all the way to Oregon State, then you end up back here in the SEC. Yeah. What are some things that you learned from your time at both Alabama and at Oregon State? Well, I learned that I like the West Coast weather a lot more. Um, <laughs> I definitely want to try to live there if I can after football. But really, you know, lifestyle is just different. You know, the, the South is where I grew up, and it's, it's, uh, it's filled with you know, great people and a very unique culture, and the West is filled with you know, its own unique culture. So um, I think the teams, you know, West Coast, you get a lot of Polynesians and um, a lot of guys from L.A., and um, down here you get a lot more Miami guys. So um, it's just kind of getting to know your teams, getting to know the, the guys, that goes the furthest. On your journey here, you've been a part of a lot of different kinds of football with your dad, obviously a football family, stints in like half the NFL, it looks like, if, if you check out the resume. When you mentioned growing up, yeah. how many of those places did you grow up in, or were you mostly just in Jacksonville? So when I was eight years old, I moved to Jacksonville, and I was there until I was 17. So that was by far the longest that I've been in one place. 
Um, really three or four places that I really lived in growing up was New Orleans, Baltimore, Charlotte, Jacksonville, and then Denver for my senior year, but I was there for less than a year. Um, love Colorado, just wasn't there for very long. You know, it is interesting because you do move so much, you know, you see so many people, you get to meet so many people and, you know, do unique things such as, you know, Red Rocks in Colorado mm -hmm. or go to the beach in Jacksonville. You know, there's no beach in Denver. So, you know, I was at when Cal Ripken, I think it was a home run or hit record. It was one of those. I was at that game in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, really unique experiences. Uh, other people look at it as, oh, you had to move so much. But, you know, I really love traveling now because I've done it so much. Did you have a favorite place among all those cities or even other ones your dad coached in that you maybe didn't spend as much time in? I really like San Francisco. Um, it's where he's living right now. He, he commutes to Oakland. Um, he grew up in the Bay Area, so I'd always visited, but I, I got to live there for a few months when I was in between schools. And um, just weather, culture, you know, people is really a good fit, I think. And hopefully I can get back out there when I'm done playing. You're undoubtedly used to the questions about your dad and about growing up around him and around the game. What do you think are the biggest advantages to having that background? Well, you get to bounce football ideas off of them uh, whenever you want. But it's also people see these as an NFL head coach and they think, oh, you know, unlimited supply of knowledge. And it's true, but at the same time, you have to realize he has a schedule too and you can't just hammer him with questions all day. And also, it's such a different level. The NFL is so advanced. You, know, you watch it on TV, it looks kind of the same, but um, if you play it, then you can tell that it's not even close. Um, it's almost like a completely different league. Um, and the talent level, I mean, it's the best of the best from the SEC, which is one of the best conferences in the nation. So, you know, you kind of pick and choose what you ask. And, you know, I'll ask him like a simple question. He'll say, oh, well, what, what variation of it? I'm like, no, Dad, it's just like just... <laughs> Vanilla, yeah, yeah, just answer it. So, um, but he's been tremendously helpful, uh, and really like off the field stuff. You know, like something going on in the locker room, or you know, a teammate's mom is sick, or something like that. Just how do you get close with guys? Because I heard stories he was really good with with his teammates. So, um, I think that goes further than football knowledge. What if any are disadvantages to growing up? with that background and, and having some of those limitations you were talking about? Yeah, well, you know, moving a lot. So after you move so many consecutive times, um, you kind of, I don't want to say stop trying, but you're less inclined to try to make new friends because you're like, <laughs> ah, I'm probably just going to move, so what's the point? <laughs> but um, that was definitely the hardest, just having to constantly find a new friend group and try to fit in and, you know, find a group that you can rely on. And, you know, they, they see it too. They, they know you're moving and, you know, you probably won't be there for very long. So um, Army families kind of suffer from the same thing. But, you know, I think there's more positives than negatives. So often we see a defensive coach bring up a defensive player. If he was a linebacker, then his son will be a linebacker, so on and so forth. Given that your dad's such a renowned defensive guru, how did you gravitate to the quarterback position? Yeah, it was kind of a, a roundabout way. So uh, middle school... I played outside linebacker. I was okay. I wasn't, you know, anything special. I was smart and I was pretty quick. I wasn't very fast though. And then high school came and I was like, I kind of want to play quarterback. Outside linebacker is boring. You touch the ball. You know, if you have a great game, you touch the ball two or three times. So I was getting kind of bored. It's why I quit baseball. I got bored with it. You know, just waiting for the ball to be hit to you. So um, boredom probably is the biggest reason. And 
Uh, freshman year of high school, they didn't let me play quarterback. I played outside linebacker again, and then I was the backup for varsity sophomore year, and then I played junior senior year. So. When you got here last year, there was some thought that you might be able to play immediately. They applied for a waiver. It was denied. Mm-hmm. How did you go through the process of last season from thinking you might play to knowing you're not going to play and then realizing how long of a wait this was going to be? Yeah, yeah, it was hard, um, especially earlier in the season. So, like, halfway through camp, they hear, you know, how it's not looking very good, but we still don't quite know yet. So less and less good news was coming through. And then finally I got the, you know, you're not going to be able to play, but we'll give you a sixth year. So I was like, uh, okay, it's kind of like throwing a bone when I wanted the whole thing. So um, it was tough. I kind of got into a rhythm, though, during the, during the season. I was, you know, you get pretty upset when you're watching – guys have fun on the field and you get to practice and everybody's like oh we practice so we get to play and I was practicing so I got to watch so (laughs) um, yeah it was tough but I I took advantage of my year off I really got to kind of be a regular student which I've always kind of wondered what that was like you know when they went to away games I, I couldn't travel I wasn't allowed to travel so I got the weekends off and it was nice I got to do some things that you don't usually get to do so I kind of tried to make the best of the situation but it was tough. What were some of the things you were able to enjoy about being a student with some of those extra opportunities that you had? Yeah, I I got to, the first one that pops to my head, I got to go to Halloween Horror Nights Mm. uh, in Orlando. Um, What was the longest line you waited in for a haunted house? It was probably like an hour and a half. It it wasn't too bad. You must have been there on a good day. Yeah, well, (laughs) it was was packed, but um, we went for one night, so we got express passes. So even with the pass, it was an hour and a half. That that sounds right. (laughs) That sounds right. Yeah, but, you know. It's, it's a lot of fun. If, if the bye week kind of matches up this year, then I'll try to go again. But I um, went with my girlfriend, and we had a really good time. As you worked through camp this year, at what point did you feel like you had this job, and what did you think you did to earn it? Well, first week of camp, you're kind of just getting into it. And uh, Austin was playing really well. I was playing really well. We were, we were playing efficient football. We had a, the first scrimmage. Um, it went okay, I thought. The, the whole offense, it was, it was okay. It wasn't great, but it was good. And then the, the week after that, that next week of practice, I thought um, I separated myself, not only with my play on the field, but really just my command and confidence. And um, I, I can't really tell you what made me all of a sudden confident, but I guess I just kind of relaxed. You know, it's, you get in a quarterback competition, you think, you know, you have to make these plays to win the job, and it's usually the opposite. Just make the plays that... Nobody else wants to make. Chuck the ball down. Throw the ball away. Mm-hmm. You know, don't turn the ball over. So, you kind of, I kind of had to get out of that mindset of I have to win the job instead of just I have to win the trust of the coaches. So that week, I just kind of settled down and let it come to me, which was kind of the same thing that happened in the spring. Um, and I, I play much better when I kind of let the the coaches' system work for me. We've heard so much about Coach McWayne and Coach Nussmeyer and their ability to almost be quarterback whispers. What makes them so effective at working with QBs? Well, the fact that Coach Nuss played quarterback in college and the NFL um, goes a, a long way. And Coach Mack has had so much success with quarterbacks in college. Um, and he, he was in the NFL with the Raiders for a little bit. So um, I think really just their experience outside of their current position really helps build that kind of trust. Yeah, he definitely knows what he's talking about. He's been through it. Um, especially in the NFL, you know, coaches that played usually get a little more trust from their players just because, you know, 
hey, they went through it. They know what I'm feeling. They, you know, they understand what I'm trying to say or trying to do. Um, so I think the fact that they've had those different aspects has helped a lot. You've had the opportunity to play for both Nick Saban and Jim McElwain. Most people on the outside believe there's lots of similarities because McElwain came from the Saban coaching tree. What have you seen in terms of things that are similar and then things that are different about them? Yeah, they're, they're definitely very similar. Um, very organized, very detailed. They want things a certain way, and if it's not that way, then they're not going to move on until you do it that way. Um, and I can respect that. That's If I was a coach, that's how I would do it. Um, you know, they're different because they're different personalities. You know, Coach Mack does a really good job of keeping his door open and being very open with players and honest, and his ex- expectations are very clear. Um, and Coach Saban did a tremendous job too, but I'm happy with where I'm at. Steve Spurrier got here just at the beginning of camp, and one of the first things he came out and said publicly was, I think Del Rio is going to be the starting quarterback, which got a lot of news. Yeah. How much interaction have you had with Coach Spurrier, and what do you think he can bring to this program? I've probably said a total of ten words. To, <laughs> do you to, remember the ten words? Uh, <laughs> what's up, Coach? Hey, Coach, how you doing? And then he was wearing Under Armour shoes out to practice one day, and I was like, can we get you some Nike shoes? <laughs> he said, oh, no, I have Nike shoes. I was just wearing these, so... Um, Old habits die hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, but he's done a, a great job. I know that he's been talking with Coach Nuss and Coach Mack, how they ran things, how he expected quarterbacks to throw certain routes, um, things like that. Little things that are that are helpful, especially versus teams that he coached against for you know twenty plus years. So, little tidbits here and there, very useful. Fans are so interested in quarterback battles. It always seems to be the biggest storyline from any camp. You guys have had four guys involved, including yourself. What's your relationship like with the other guys, and how does that dynamic work with two true freshmen involved as well? Yeah, well, when I got to college, it was me and two other guys, so there's three true freshmen. And it's always kind of awkward because you know they're going to have to redshirt somebody, they're going to travel somebody, they're going to play somebody. And as a true freshman, it's, it's your first time that you're not the guy in a while. You know, you go from high school where they're telling you that you're the best thing since sliced bread and you're a five star and you have all these offers and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, am I going to red shirt or am I going to be the third string or the second string? You know, mm-hmm. um, not a whole lot of times as a true freshman, the starter. So it's, it's difficult for them. It really is. But they've done a tremendous job, those two especially, um, at handling it and understanding the expectations and just get better every day. And they did a really good job of that during camp. When I was in camp, my freshman year, I was just focused on the depth chart. It's like all I looked at. Um, and, okay, I got eight reps, he got six reps, so uh, I'm ahead. You know, it, it doesn't work that way. It's just it's how it's scripted some days. Um, and then, you know, with me and Austin, I thought we kept the relationship really healthy throughout camp, and, you know, it still is healthy. I know outside of, you know, or coming out of quarterback competitions, it can kind of get awkward, mm-hmm. but me and him have made a – a pretty conscious effort to keep that relationship because you're going to need both guys at some point, whether it's injury or later in a game or helmet gets knocked off and you have to come out and what if it's fourth and five and we need, you know, we need a first down. So the fact that we've been able to do that will help us out a lot. Coach Mack has talked a lot about this year being significantly different offensively and hoping to make some significant strides. What do you anticipate this offense will look like? What should fans expect to see? Explosive. Um, I think we're very explosive this year. Um, In the passing game, in the running game, again, another year in this offense, it it only helps. You know, people say, oh, well, they've seen the offense. Well, the offense is out there. You know, Alabama runs it, Colorado State ran it. Mm -hmm. Everybody, you know, 
they know the teams that we play, they know where to look for our offense. So that's that's not what is stopping it. It's familiarity and knowing the depths and angles and certain combinations of routes that the coaches want to run. What are some names that fans might not know now, but will know once you get into this season? Guys that you've seen in practice that you think are going to really make a, a huge splash. Like no Callaway, obviously. Uh, Brandon Powell, he got hurt some last year. I think he's a tremendous player. Um, Dre Massey is going to be a, a big a big player for us this year, both on offense and special teams. Um, Chauncey Gardner's done a really good job on defense. You know, true freshman playing um, all kinds of positions, safety, nickel, DB, you know, corner. So, you know, those three, four guys, I think, have really stood out during camp. What are your expectations for yourself for the early portion of this season? I expect to execute the game plan. Um, the coaches put in so many hours formulating what we need to do, how we're going to try to um, attack these defenses that we keep playing. And it would be foolish of me to try to do something outside of that. You know, they can put in more hours than I ever could because I'm a student athlete. I have to go to class. I, you know, I have to take notes and I have to do homework and all of that. So um, for me to think that I could know more, might know more about a certain situation, that would just be arrogant. So I, I need to stay within the offense, stay within the game plan, and we'll be fine. You and your family are so associated with football, and we already heard about your Halloween Horror Nights trip. But outside of that, what are some things you like to do when you don't have to be committed to football? I love to travel. I love to travel. And if I'm not traveling, I'm usually at the beach somewhere. Um, not super social guy. Kind of like to just be with a tight circle of people. And that, that's also probably a byproduct of moving so much. So... <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we go to the Destin area a lot. We have a place there, and that's kind of the getaway. Um, but, you know, if I'm feeling a little more spontaneous, I'll, I'll travel somewhere. Favorite places you've traveled? Anything exotic that stands out? Yeah, we've gone to Rome, Venice, uh, a lot of places in Italy, um, you know, New York, San Francisco, a lot of, a lot of big, you know, U.S. cities, Seattle, Arizona, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, Dallas, you know, all, pretty much all the big cities. You know, if I get another opportunity, I definitely want to go out of the country because they have so many different cultures to offer. So I'm really interested in that. Last thing for you, we're talking right now up in the press box, the swamp. It doesn't look like much yet. Nothing out on the field, but this thing will be painted. It'll be 90,000 strong on Saturday. What goes through your head as you think about what that's going to be like? Yeah, I'm definitely excited. Um, yeah, I got to experience it last year with the how loud the swamp really does get, and especially the Ole Miss game. I mean, it was deafening. So... I'm excited to get to experience it firsthand this time with, with pads on. And, you know, the SEC, it, it's such a unique atmosphere. The fans' passion, it, it really does separate itself from other conferences. Del Rio is hoping to have a multitude of weapons to work with, and some of those will likely emerge from a deep group of running backs. Tim Skipper is responsible for overseeing the young core of potential playmakers, and he told Jeff Cardozo that these talented backs are ready to show everyone what they can do. You know, we stayed relatively healthy the whole fall camp, which I that's a blessing. And just being around those guys and the energy they bring, they bring out the energy in me also, and it's just been fun. You know, they're just good kids that just like to work hard, and you can't beat that. 
Well, and, and you've got five guys uh, that are legitimately going to ha have an opportunity to play. So that, that's got to be neat, too, from a competitive standpoint. I know you as a coach, you, you've got to love it. I'm sure those guys feed off of each other. So that, that process has probably been pretty neat. Definitely. You know, last year was kind of the KT show. You know, we had one guy kind of pretty much doing everything. Well, this year we have multiple guys that can do things, and it's fun. You know, it'll keep me a little busier on the sideline during the games, trying to rotate in. But I'm excited for it, look forward to it, and that's kind of how we built the team. So how's that plan work? Do you, do you get a bunch of guys different carries early, maybe say who, who has the hot hand, and that's how the rest of the game's going to play out? Definitely. You're always looking for that hot hand. You know, Once you get to the second half, the guy that's got that feel that's just getting them yards, that's the guy that's probably going to be in there the most. So it's, it's going to be fun to see how that all plays out and everything, and uh, everybody's just excited. They, let's finally do it today. And what's neat about this group, too, is I think the, the few times I'm able to sneak out to practice and, and see them is they can all do a lot of different things. So it's not like you just have one guy that does one thing well. Everybody can do everything, it seems like. Definitely. You know, the running back duties, man, you got to be able to run with the ball, you got to be able to catch the ball, and then you got to be able to block when you don't have the ball. And all five of those guys can do those three things. So it's, it's just a, truly a blessing. We're just happy with the work ethic that they've showed and their abilities and all those wonderful things. Last year we saw the uh, the Jordans come in here for the first time, and uh, how was that process as freshmen? Obviously sophomores now, so you've played a lot, you've learned some things. Do you, do you see a difference from uh, year one to year two with those guys? Definitely. You know, it just experience, experience of how we travel for a road game, how we travel for our own game, you know, just understanding the offense, knowing what to expect when there's a big crowd in the stadium, all those little things that you don't really think about, I think make them better as they get into year two and then so forth in their careers. So expect big things from those guys. And then you, you got a freshman certainly coming in and, and P. Ryan. How's his process been like? I know uh, I've heard you, you even say some things. He almost doesn't act like a freshman. Exactly. I mean, he's wonderful. It's, I had to remind myself this is his first really fall camp, first games. You know, he acts like he's grown. You know, he, he – attacks the day I guess is the best way to put him he runs hard he learned the offense fairly quickly and it's just been really really exciting to watch him progress as a football player and as a young man and speaking of attacking you got a, a big bruiser back there as well and you talk to some of the guys they don't want to tackle him and uh in scrimmages and different things so the, the junior college transfer has to be a, a big asset as well definitely and in the offseason, we pinpointed guys. We were like, all right, we need to get bigger at this position. And he was the first guy that we kind of put our eyes on. And uh, glad he's here. He is a guy that just gets stronger and stronger as he gets more and more carries. So we'll see how it all works out. And we can't forget the, uh, the veteran of the bunch, a guy that's shown spurts of being really successful. I know you're pretty excited about him as well. Definitely, definitely. You know, it's, it, it's been good, man. It's just it's awesome. We have a collection of guys. You know, guys that are former walk-ons and now are on scholarship to guys just getting here to guys that are kind of in the middle of that. So it's, it's just awesome to have this whole mix of guys and to finally see them play. When you look at UMass, some of the, the defense they run, some of the little things, anything that you can try to take advantage of? You know, they, they do a good job. They try to confuse you a little bit. You know, on third downs, they'll go to some of their packages where nobody's in a three-point stance. All the D linemen are standing up and moving around. So we'll have to deal with that. We've done a lot of practice stuff with that. Their DBs are athletic. They're skilled. Uh, they seem to know and understand the defense the schemes they want to run and uh, it's going to be a fun game um, we're excited about it you know our whole goal is to get our athletes in space and let them go to work so we'll see how it all plays out but uh, looking forward to it how excited are the kids and it's been been a long summer long fall and has this week been different do you see a little bounce in their step knowing uh, the, the game day is finally here 
Definitely. You know, everybody, you know, training camp is that grind. You're trying to get through it and you're trying to stay healthy and you never really feel good. Every single day, you come, something's hurting, but you got to fight through it. So now you get the game. We instantly, everybody's feeling fresh and excited, ready to go. And that's where we're at right now. So there's a lot of excitement in the air, a little bounce in the step, and uh, it'll be fun. The start of a new season always brings varying levels of expectations. At some schools, the bar may be set low, but at Florida, expectations are always sky high. We tried to cover every angle of the 2016 Florida football team with Scott Carter, and that started by assessing just how high these Gators can soar. Well, Adam, I don't really see a reason why this team can't compete for the SEC East again. Uh, you know, a lot of the preseason projections have them third maybe in that race behind Tennessee and Georgia. Um, Florida's going to get a chance to obviously make their statement against both of those teams in the regular season, Tennessee early. It's going to be at Knoxville. We all know about the winning streak the Gators have, and a lot of people think this is the year that that's going to end. But if Florida goes up there and does beat Tennessee for a 12th consecutive year, I mean, you got to believe this team's going to be playing for a trip back to Atlanta at that point. That will be their goal. Uh, so it's their goal anyway, Adam. But anytime you go into a season when you ended last season kind of with a thud, you know, losing those three consecutive games to Florida State, Alabama, and Michigan, and not looking very good doing it, uh, so there's going to be some question marks. But I do think this Florida team returns enough defensively for sure. I, I do think this Florida team is deeper into the uh, playbook that Jim McElwain uh, used at Alabama and then obviously as head coach at Colorado State before he came to Florida. So I think you're going to see an improvement on offense uh, from just you know another year with the new head coach, a new system, and also just more of his kind of players, uh, players that fit his system better. So you know you factor those in there. Uh, I think this Florida team has a chance to uh, you know still compete for the SEC East. It's interesting if you talk about difficulty of a schedule in the SEC because inevitably it's usually the toughest league in the country and yet the ESPN Football Power Index says that Florida has, quote, the easiest schedule in the SEC, which is it's hard to fathom you consider some of the headlines. You mentioned going to Tennessee, you've got Georgia and Jacksonville, you've got LSU coming in here. But I think what makes this schedule interesting is that you don't have that murderer's row of sorts. Tennessee's got one of those four straight weeks that are a gauntlet. Florida's got some real openings on their schedule where they can breathe a little bit in between those mega matchups that are going to define their season. Yeah, that can make a big difference uh, for a team certainly one like the skaters team that you know it, it's still relatively young uh you know compared to some other teams Florida's had uh there's still question marks you know starting with quarterback although I think Jim McElwain and his offensive staff uh, they feel really good about Luke Del Rio going into the season here as their starter but you know you want to see the guy go out there and produce and have some positive results uh, as the whole offense, that's what they're going to look for here in these early season games. And and you're right, Adam. I think when you when you mentioned that uh, power index, the ESPN likes. I'm sure that accounts for you know the early season game and their opener against UMass. Then they have North Texas, Kentucky, and then down the road they play Presbyterian here at home late in the year. So I'm sure those teams collectively maybe brought that score down. It is a little weaker out of conference schedule than maybe mm -hmm. we've seen. But, you know, Florida State's still there at the end of the year. But overall, I think the most important part of the schedule is really early because I look at this team, any young team, Adam, they want to build confidence early. If they can get off to a good start, 
by the time they go up to Knoxville in late September and feeling good with the way they're playing, with the way the defense is playing, with the way uh, Luke Del Rio's kind of assumed that quarterback job as a starter, I think that game could be a very early sign or telling sign for this team. With Luke Del Rio, he seems to have all the tools. Certainly on the public front, this is the guy you want to be the face of your team. And as we learned earlier in the podcast, a really thoughtful and interesting guy who's learned a lot along his way. But inevitably, and what he admits as well, is that he hasn't done it on the field. So that seems to be the biggest question about Florida's quarterback play. We know that they've got numbers there and they've got guys who have some talent, but it becomes more about can that talent turn into action when the lights are on? That's the great question in any sport, really, right? When, mm-hmm. when the lights come on, is that guy going to produce? And we haven't seen it in Luke Del Rio's case because he hasn't really had an opportunity you know, his, what, he's thrown uh, 18 career passes during his uh, one-year Oregon State in 2014. Then he set out last season here at Florida, and here he is going to go into uh, the opener as a starting quarterback. It's his first college start, and technically he's, well, I think, 22 years old. <laughs> I mean, he's been around the game a little while, so he, he's definitely taken an unusual career path to get his shot. But to me, uh, when you just look at him, you listen to him talk, you watch him practice, he has so many of those intangibles intangibles that you know are so important for quarterbacks. And I have go back to the, the way he grew up as the son of an NFL head coach. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's face it, that's got to do something for your development, for your football IQ. Um, so I think that's to his advantage. Uh, he knows McElwain's offense, so that's to his advantage. And I think he's just got some good decision-making skills. And It's going to be interesting. I'm like everybody else. I want to see how he does. But I think that all the pieces are there for him to to work in this offense, and he's got more help this year than around around the offense. Some of the key uh, skill positions to make a difference as well. It's a lot of fun to talk about the skill positions, but inevitably that line is going to be so critical. Florida was last in the SEC in sacks allowed last year, and many people are curious: Do they have the numbers and the experience this year to turn that around? What are you seeing from the offensive line? Well, I've seen a lot more numbers. <laughs> Remember, I think they had which, which is not hard to do. In no, <laughs> no. Last year at this time, they they had a lot of young guys come into the program after I think ending McElwain's first spring here with six scholarship healthy offensive mm-hmm. linemen, which was probably an all time low for the program. They have uh, built up that uh, unit some. The numbers look good. There was a key loss during fall camp, obviously with Antonio Rouse's mm-hmm. uh, knee injury. He was going to be a guy certainly in that eight nine man rotation. He's wiped out for years, so now you're looking at young players like uh, Brandon Sandifer, Nick Buchanan, Richard Desheer Jones. All these guys are going to be on that two deep. But you have a veteran line coming back. I mean, last year the only guy in McElwain's first game at Florida who had any starts along the offensive line was Trip Thurman, who's now gone. But this year you have you know David Sharp. Martez Ivy, Cam Dillard, Fred Johnson, Tyler Jordan. All those guys started at times last year. Uh, so I think the offensive line is in a lot better shape than uh, last year. Last year, they certainly took their beating. Um, you know, it, it's it's this way every year, Adam. You know, they got to stay healthy, first of all. You know, if you avoided some key injuries up there to the starters, I like the guys they have in the backup roles, uh, guys like we just mentioned, and one guy who... 
Jawan Taylor, a true freshman. I don't know if you've seen him yet. He's about six six, about two three thirty. Wow. I mean, this guy he doesn't look like a uh, a true freshman. The coaches have, uh, have said we're going to see that guy. So th- that just uh, speaks more to their depth that you've got a guy like that who doesn't have to step onto the field right away. So to me, that that's a big sign of progress for that unit. Skill position wise, we know now that Antonio Callaway is going to be back and ready to go from day one. But around him, both receivers and running backs, what are those weapons going to look like for Luke Del Rio? And, and is it going to be names that maybe fans aren't familiar with as of right now? Yeah, there really are going to be a lot of new names, uh, at least guys in more uh, significant roles. To start in the backfield, you got a couple of young running backs back there in Jordan Cronkite and Jordan Scarlett. We saw both of them last year mm-hmm. as true freshmen, but Kevin Taylor was the featured back, and, and these guys had a year to kind of get some uh, experience, and they, they, they played some, but they weren't a huge part of the regular offensive uh, plan. This year they will be. Junior college running back Mark Thompson, a kid who came in from uh, Dodge uh, Community College out in Kansas, this guy... He's uh he's the biggest back, six uh two two forty gives him a different look than Scarlett and Cronkite. Um, you know Jim McElwain spoke very highly of true freshman uh, Lamichael Perrine here lately. He's like a little bowling ball, almost like five ten, two hundred fifteen pounds. But he's impressed coaches just with his strength and with the way he can bounce off tacklers. So they have they have a lot of options in the backfield. I, I think. That group is going to be productive. At receiver, it starts with Callaway, and then after that, I think they're really looking for a, a bounce-back year from Brandon Powell. Uh, he w- We were talking about him last year at this time. Maybe he was going to have a breakout year. But this lingering foot injury that required surgery in the offseason, it really limited him at times last year. But he is a guy that uh, I think is going to be a very relevant part of the offense. Another junior college player, Dre Massey's in that mix. And then you got a lot of, really, the area I thought they helped themselves most in the offseason through recruiting was that receiver. You know, they brought five guys in. A couple of them aren't going to be available for the first game, and, and Tyree Cleveland and Rick Wells. But you also have Josh Hammond, uh, Frankie Hammond's younger brother, uh, Freddie Swain. Uh, so these are just a couple more guys. And then the tight ends, DeAndre Goolsby is someone to watch. I think he could have a big year for Florida, especially in in the passing game that, that I think McElwain wants to utilize and that Del Rio I think is his strength. The tight end is going to play a very important role. So, uh, again, kind of like Del Rio, some question marks about how much they'll produce or what they'll produce, but I do think the talent there is able to produce. And it seems like to some extent you could say the same thing on the defensive side. Certainly Florida lost some stars. Some big, big, bold-faced names are no longer there. But because the pool is so deep and there's so much talent, you know you've got guys who are capable to step in, but will they be able to fill those shoes at the same level? That seems to be the biggest question about the defense. Yeah, I mean, you lose a guy like Jonathan Buller or Antonio Morrison or Vernon Hargraves. Those are uh, three big pair of shoes to fill. And uh, again, I think it goes back to recruiting. They've really uh, done a good job of recruiting defensively the last several years. So you lose Vernon Hargraves, you got a guy like Quincy Wilson, Jalen Tabor, right there at cornerback, could be the best cornerback tandem in the country if they play up to their potential. Mm-hmm. Linebacker, I mean, to me, maybe the best offseason news this team got was when Jared Davis decided to come back instead of enter the draft. I think uh, things are setting up for him to have a really big year. He's going to be a key, not only just that he's going to be counted to produce, but he's also a key leader on this team. Um, 
And up front, to me, maybe is where the strength of this defense is. Uh, they maybe don't have a Dante Fowler or a Jonathan Bullard, at least name-wise, at the start of the season. Mm-hmm. But they have the ability to produce at those levels with guys like Caleb Brantley, uh, Joy Ivey, C.C. Jefferson. Uh, you know, the list can go on there. But they're very deep up front. Uh, they're going to rotate eight, nine guys in there, regularly stay fresh. And in the SEC, you have to have that up front on both sides. But defensively, especially with, uh, you know, the SEC is the offense in the league now is it's improved quite a bit mm-hmm. in, uh, in recent years. And you got to have fresh guys up there. I think Florida has the bodies to be pretty good up front. Special teams don't often get a ton of coverage. But if we're looking at it, Florida's got a real strength in Johnny Towns. There's no question the punting game, they're really solid. In the return game, they have the chance to be special with Callaway and with Massey back there as well. And in the kicking game, they could be very special if Eddie Pinheiro is all that he has been hoped to be. But it's another one of those same question marks. If he can perform at the same level he's expected, you could have one of the best kickers in the league, but you just don't know. And that's another one of these questions that we have to find the answer to. Yeah, I mean, if Eddie Pinheiro can match his success on YouTube, Gator's going to be great. He's, the, he's the Groves Award winner he, the next he, three years. He can go ahead and, uh, and, and call that award his own, and uh, he'll, he'll set he's, he's some. A, he's a first-round pick this year. He, the yes. Raiders will take him. Yes, they'll, uh, they'll send him a call in <laughs> yeah. April, I'm sure. But Janikowski's on his way out. I need you. <laughs> but he is a guy that, uh, he's, to me, maybe the most intriguing newcomer on this team. Mm-hmm. And you say, a kicker? Yeah, this kicker it kind of fits that bill just because we have seen him kick these 70, 75-yard field goals on YouTube. And he came into the program in January, and right away he was like kind of the star of the spring game. You know, he comes out and kicks that. I remember an extra point that got people excited when it went into the stands, and then he had a couple of 50-yard field goals, 56-yarder late in the game. Um, so he's got the leg. He seems to have that confidence, cockiness, whatever you need to go out of there and kick a field goal in high pressure situations. Now we have the orange and blue game is not exactly facing LSU, uh, but you know we have seen him perform well in front of a crowd when he knew everyone was watching him, and also Jim McElwain was right there on the field mm-hmm. watching him very closely. So I, I think Eddie Pinheiro, he he's he's just an intriguing guy. He's got a great personality. Uh, seems to really. Uh, have the respect of his teammates right away. Kind of a fun guy, and but he's a guy that we're going to be watching closely because Florida was dr- dreadful in the kicking game last year. I think five out of fourteen. Uh, Austin Harden in field goals, he was five out of fourteen, and then I think overall they were seven out of seventeen. You know that just kill them in certain games, uh, and it's a momentum killer when you when your offense drives sixty, seventy yards, and you know you're down inside the twenty, you call your kicker out and. He misses a kick. I mean, it's a, a very dejectful thing for a team to have to bounce back from. So if Pinero can uh, take care of some of that, and if Johnny Townsend does what he does, mm-hmm. you mentioned Antonio Callaway is definitely one of the most dangerous punt returners in the country. And then kickoff return, I think you're going to see Brandon Powell and Dre Massey. And, you know, we know what Powell maybe can do if he's healthier. He's a dangerous guy. But Massey, I'm kind of, he's another newcomer who I think can really make a big difference in year one because uh, he just adds another dimension as a playmaker that they, they've been missing. Kind of like a Callaway, uh, smaller guy, a lot of speed, a lot of quickness in his first step, giving the ball in a little bit of space. And he's a guy you just don't really know what's going to happen. And you know, those guys are fun to watch. 
And so we look at this opener, it, it's not next year's opener against Michigan. It's UMass, and obviously it's going to be a team that Florida should be able to overwhelm. But having said that, in your mind, what can they utilize this opener for? What are they going to work? If they're up by a huge margin at halftime or early on in the game, what can they then do to make the most out of this first opportunity on the field? Well, if I had a checklist, you know, to me the first thing would be get good, solid play out of the quarterback, you know. And not just stats-wise or a lot of points, but mm-hmm. the offense, go ahead and look smooth. Remember going back to the spring game, that was a big storyline going into the spring game. And Luke Del Rio goes out there and goes, well, I think 10 of 11, 176 yards, two touchdowns, which is, certainly provides a nice stat line. But they look good doing it. It, it just seems smooth. And I think that's what they'll want to do in this opener against UMass. You know, come out and look like, the offense is working the way it's supposed to with Luke Del Rio calling the shots. Get a lot of people involved. Uh, you know, get those running backs, Scarlett, Cronkite, Thompson, get them some touches. Get Callaway and Massey and Powell the ball and, you know, stay healthy. Uh, but to me, uh, Adam, you know, it's a game that they're heavily favored in. UMass is going to come in here and, quite frankly, I mean, they're going to be overmatched at pretty much every position. So it's a game that you know, Florida should definitely win and win easily. But to me, in these games, it's a chance for a team to do what they do best and do it well and then just leave the game with some confidence. Like, mm-hmm. you know what? We just spent a month in preseason camp and practicing all this stuff, and we came out and looked pretty good doing it tonight against an opponent. And to me, that's the biggest thing the Gators can take out of this game. There's also a lot surrounding the game in terms of other storylines, festivities, and probably chief among those is the official renaming of the field after not just a legendary coach, but your new office mate just down the hall. <laughs> yeah, it's been different. Steve Spurrier's back at Florida, and it's uh, something that in my time around Florida, I don't think I've seen anything get fans more excited than, than when it was announced that he was returning to uh, UF as an ambassador and consultant to UF Athletics. And uh, he's been everywhere from... He spoke uh, at a basketball clinic over with the team recently. He's been out checking out some of the football practices. He's been uh, making a couple of tour stops with, you know, boosters and money raising. But just from what I've gathered, he really seems to enjoy this move he's made. And obviously he's got a new book out. He's on a speaking tour this week uh, or a promotional tour to uh, raise awareness for his book. And, uh, you know, he's going to be at the Swamp on Saturday and it's, going to be uh, Steve Spurrier, Florida Field at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. That's the uh, dedication ceremony for uh, the new name of the uh, field here at uh, Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. And, you know, Steve Spurrier, my favorite part maybe will be seeing him pull off the two-bits routine. Uh, <laughs> he said something like the other day that he, he might have to do a wind-up like, you know, he did in that national championship game. If you go back and watch the replays when Terry Jackson scored. That's right, the little, yeah, the, the wind-it-up. Yeah, yeah again, in that <laughs> game, he was uh, he was on the sideline winding his arm up, so maybe we'll see a little bit of that on Saturday before the game. But it's certainly going to be a festive atmosphere at the Swamp. And, uh, you know, anytime Steve Spurrier is back and he's actually wearing gator colors and all that stuff, I mean, we haven't seen him that setting and what since the end of 2001 his last game so yeah. it's hard to believe it's been 15 years uh, and now he's back and uh, I think uh, he's excited to be back and I know that uh, Florida fans are excited to have him back and that's going to do it for this week's show 
We've got a lot of surprises in store for you this season as we aim to get you up close and personal with Gators past and present. You can expect our weekly football shows to drop every Thursday, but also keep a lookout for some special editions to come your way throughout the season. We're also anxious to get your feedback and learn more about what you want to hear. So please feel free to tweet at Gators Podcast or email GatorsPodcast at gmail.com to share your thoughts and suggestions. Make sure to subscribe to Gator Tales on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher to make sure you never miss an episode. And catch football's season opener on Saturday at 7.30 against UMass on the SEC Network. Until next time, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in the swamp.